One, two, three, four. In this podcast, you will be here. Knights of Vader, Knights of Vader. Include, but is not late to talk of Star Wars, not Reagans. We can't truly prepare for the jump that follows this song, but hey, we give it a try. So here's the Knights of Vader. Fox they are divided. For equal sequel, hate and love, they fight I know that we are just musicians hired, and their time is up. So here's the Knights of Vader. Impressive. Most impressive. A big thank you to An Inspiriority Complex for providing our theme song. It is January 6, 2022. My name is Zach Weber, and I am joined by Chris Porteous. Hey, happy to be here to talk about um, black pumpkins that grow under the sand. He took it right out of my mouth, folks. The man who coined this idea a full week in advance, Russ Ryan. My monkey. So that's what I called. I was right. They're not burying little (laughs) bottles of water. That's ridiculous. And Joe Yazzo. Hey, how are you? Yes. I am back. We are back to talk about Boba's novella, chapter two. Um, guys, where do we begin with this? I, I, there's so many jumping off points. Do we pick up exactly from last week's episode where Russ gets vindicated or any other ideas? I guess we could do that. Last week, uh, Chris had us all give numbers. So I think we have to stick with that. And I gave it a low last week. I really, I really love, I'll give this one like eight or nine. This was a, this was just fun to watch. All right, uh, eight, yeah, eight or nine, eight or nine. That's Zach's like, like, nope. <laughs> I, I, like the, I like the pause. Okay. Like Chris doesn't know what to do for a split second. He's like, it's like, okay, how am I going to respond to this? Well, no, here's my, I had a very interesting viewing experience for this. Like, I'll, I'll say right out of the gate, I liked it way better than the first episode. Um, I was, uh, I, I had a little interruption while I was watching it, and I, I paused it shortly after, uh, after the spoiler alert, uh, Siamese huts showed up. Uh, they are attached, right? That's what we're meant to believe. No, Although, they're just very close. <laughs> but you know, they 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 have two distinct colors, so it is weird that they're attached. But um, but uh, so I paused it right after the the beginning of that little interaction, and I'm like, I'm like, if this is the first like five or ten minutes, like this episode's gonna be insane. Now it wasn't quite as insane as that first. 10, 10 minutes led me to believe, but I still really liked it a lot, and I, I had fun with it. Four out of five. <laughs> oh, four out of five. <laughs> four out of five. Four, yeah, yeah. That's unheard of. That's good. It was good. All right, Joe, go ahead. I'd probably give it a give it an eight, eight out of ten. Uh, I do like that the fact that it wasn't so cutty like the first episode, where it was. I know that I know that they're basically flashback, and when he goes back to the back to tank. And it's, I, hold on, Joe. I'd hate to interrupt, but I did come up with a term with that. We're going to call that flashbacktus. Flashbacktus. <laughs> that actually works really well. You should trademark that, Russ. I think Before I just they did. Use it. There you go. Legal Zoom. <laughs> um, no, but it was it was it it seemed to flow a lot better for me watching it that way, and it gave you some sense of the story. It was more complete, especially at the time uh, the second half of the actually. I would say probably the second two thirds of the of the show. All right, 
so I finally could give my opinions on this, which Chris, Chris kind of heard a uh, brief snippet of last night. And I'm going to bring the clunky food analogy into it. This show so far, it reminds me of a steak at like a high end chain restaurant. That's probably the best way I can describe it. I, I think ratings, numerical ratings are kind of arbitrary. So I'm not going to do that. Um, I think it, it's compelling enough. It's engaging. That first episode felt like a typical serialized drama, like first episode. And I'm like, okay, like it, it got me there. Like I was intrigued. Like it went by really, really quick. Like as soon as those credits hit, I was like, wow, like we're done already. Um, so that's always good. Like if some, something kind of keeps you going to so, like you want more, which I think that was the intent of the first episode. Um, I was genuinely delighted that we did not have a uh, baby Yoda hook. Um, there wasn't something in here that was going to like hook the audience and make it and, and just become like the weird calling card of the series going forward. I like that they played this one more kind of a laid back. Uh, but no, this second episode, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it again. The moment in the courtyard outside the mayor's office or mayor's, where you want to call it, a uh, town square um, with the two huts and the uh, Wookiee bounty hunter who has a name. That's fa- it's a fantastic Star Wars name. Oh, uh, what's his name? Oh, because he's OK. This is OK. We, we should. OK, before we get too far into this, we have to give Zenger's thoughts. Zenger was not able to join in on tonight's recording, um, but he sent us a review in the group chat and we, we specifically asked Russ to hold off on reading it because we wanted to get get his real-time reaction to what Zenger the fever dream that Zenger clearly wrote this under okay and I, I'm looking at it for the first time but I'm actually looking at the second sentence who says do a press do a impressions of me and great record <laughs> so I'm gonna do my best here I'm gonna take my pre-workout real quick uh here we go Okay, here you go. Great episode. The Walkie is from the comics and has worked with Boba. Best trained fight scene in all Star Wars. Weird that can be a category with multiple choices. Now, I don't know if this is some kind of riddle or a weird uh, haiku in different parts. I'm trying to understand, but I think Chris can uh, Chris can actually translate. Yeah, I think what 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 happened there is Zinger has gone on a uh, vision quest. He's got a lizard in his nose, and he's not really sure what's going on right now. I uh, I I, I got to say, yeah. If, if, if you're gonna mention that, we're gonna jump around on this. Talk about one of the most unexpected things to see in a Star Wars. I mean, we see little Force vision quests or whatever, but not straight up, you know almost indigenous culture, you know, peyote kind of trip into the woods with a tree and everything like that. That was that was totally unexpected and, and just wild. But, I mean, I guess we're sort of cutting to the end here a little bit. But like the big question that the big question is, did the tree actually exist? He brought a piece of it back. Do we have regular trees on Tatooine? What's going on with that? Uh, I, I don't I, I also didn't think that a gaffy stick was. Like that'd be pretty fragile compared to what like we see the damage it deal out. It's like slightly burned, shaved down stick. I, I I thought it was more robust than that, but they do add a lot of metal adornments on it and such. Um, but you know, I think I think the the big standout for me in this episode is that the first few minutes up till the standoff with the huts in the courtyard. Uh, so this the, this Wookiee's name is is ridiculous. His name is Black Cursantin. 
it's fine if Wookiees want to just state the color of their fur before before their as part of their name as like a prefix what? if they want to. But this is the first time we've <laughs> some we've seen that. I I am not familiar with the Doctor Afra comics, but I've seen um plenty of artwork of this character before so i recognized him i did too i did i did recognize him but i i actually thought i've have seen him in maybe like a battlefront game or something i, I he but it, it, that might be not but probably a comic you're right that definitely that wookie i i've seen that wookie before and i was also saying i can't believe i was that close to a ride have you ever seen a chewbacca a black uh what is his name again black what black chrysanthemum Chrysanthemum. Okay. It, as as little as he did, and I'm sure we're gonna get more. That was probably like the best looking Wookiee I've seen in a long time. You know, like the the ones in Episode Three are weird. Force Awakens Chewbacca has some like weird CGI face at parts. That that looked pretty good. That was a great costume, and his his uh, the expressions were really coming through. However, they chose to articulate that. He looked great. I would say my kids' reaction when that Wookiee made that corner and they looked at they all everyone gasped in the house when that happened and and uh, my youngest wanted to call him like Darth Baca or Darth Chewbacca or something. <laughs> but the thing about him, I think I found the most interesting is that like it it was like that uh, that whole sequence felt like this like the Star Wars magic that I feel has been lost for a while now. Where like it felt like it was that rogue one phenomenon where like, it felt like a bunch of like, like characters just dumped into like the sandbox and like, a, like just like a new scene was being played out. It's like, Oh, so like I have a job of the hut figure. Russ has a job of the hit figure. Well, we don't have two Jabba's. We have two Siamese twin Jabba's that like are new crime Lords in town. And then like, we have a Chewbacca, but he got like a little dirty. Like someone drew, like, like took like, a, a Sharpie to him. So like, <laughs> he's not Chewbacca anymore. He's black Chrysanthemum. And like, it, like it felt like that level of just like, Oh, like just star Wars boiled down to like, it's most pulpy and adventurous. And the same kid who's doing all this, he did, he never got a ranker, but he's going to like trick the guy into thinking he's got it. Like, I've got Jabba's palace. Oh, I'm going to put you in there. Uh, did it? Did you guys actually expect some kind of monster to come out of there? No. I was hoping that it wouldn't be the the smaller rancor from the Bad Batch. Yes. That's what I was afraid of, actually. I think a lot of people were worried that that little ranker guy would show up. Yeah, so that was a pleasant surprise. Although this assassin, it's like they had a knife to his neck like a second earlier. But once you mention the word rancor, he's crying. I don't, I don't understand that. But, uh, but um, I, it, I did find it sort of satisfying that uh, there was nothing in there, and we got a nice little CGI rat cleaning his face. Because <laughs> you know, because it's because rats exist in Star Wars because they were a convenient thing to pile into Jabba's palace for Return of the Jedi. So now they're still there in CGI form. I, I kind of like that. Or if it was the same rat for some reason, if they like, we got to get the same one from the spooky Halloween scene. I'm just glad we didn't get a close up on a CGI recreation of the skull that Luke threw at the door button just for the sake of having it in there. You know, it, but I mean, I, th I feel like uh, the pit looked authentic. The The door that the Rancor was supposed to come through looked a little bit small, but me, I haven't, I don't know. Maybe I haven't watched return of the Jedi recently enough. The palace door though. The palace door looked great. That was a great, that was, I mean, that just immediately. Yes. I know they're, they're pulling the nostalgia, but I mean, but he lives there. It, that looked amazing. That was the best. And that, the, the shot of the scenery 
behind them. I was like, I felt like I've never seen it like that before. It, it was that was a pretty breathtaking shot. Yeah, it looked faithfully recreated with the way that the little teeth on the bottom of the door have holes in them and the lights like coming through. That looked pretty good. I think they just I think they might have they might have snubbed the special editions a little bit on the count of in special editions. The Jabba's Palace front door is like three times bigger than it is in the original cut. And I th- I think it's closer to the the OG version here. So there might be some sp- special edition contradictions here. But uh, but it looked yeah, that looked awesome. Weird we still haven't seen a Bomar monk, even though they were in the first trailer. You'd think those guys would still be lurking around Jabba's palace. Like I said, the opening was really awesome. It's it's You have so, like three new awesome characters coming out of nowhere. Maybe four if you... Like the mayor, the mayor... Just the way the mayor talked with the translator was awesome. Like I found him reasonably threatening it was cool <laughs> like it's uh he's, he's he was ominous it, it uh he had he had a great translation voice combined with the little uh can- cantina hammerhead rumblings those sounded pretty good the, the only the only part where it sort of lost some steam with me was like the huts had 20 guys out there but they're not they don't want a confrontation in the streets so they literally walk away that kind of bothered me and then the fact that we go into a flashback for the remainder half an hour of the episode wasn't super crazy about that but uh i i completely agree with zach that 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 first uh scene up till uh the courtyard was just like they should do this type of thing every week and it would be a hit i don't know if it's like i don't know if you can do that continuously because I think it would lose its potency. Um, no, I think, I guess I, I disagree. I, I think this show balanced both the like back to tank flashbacks and like the current, we want chronology of where we are in Star Wars. Flashback to us. Flashback to, I'm sorry, Russ, trademark. Um, no, I, I thought that worked out nicely. Like I really, because like I said, like it, at certain points, like we all know what's going to happen with the like the the Tuscan Raider thing. Um, I think it was what last week or maybe in the Eclipse trailer discussion you guys did, or I think maybe Russ brought it up and he's like, oh, like we're like apparently tomorrow Morrison made a comment like, oh, we're going to see everything Boba Fett has like ever done, and they're very and when clearly that comment meant like, oh, we're going to see everything from like the Sarlacc pick to uh what tython in mandalorian with with big whiskey it's it's that like period and that's not to sit there segue this a little out of the episode but i I figure chris will definitely eat this up i don't think i never would have imagined a boba fett disney proper like show would be more linked to like boba fett of like the prequels like this boba fett feels so disconnected from the original trilogy like, like, I know we're only two episodes in, but like, we're now what, two sevenths of the way through this show. And at no point do I buy this is the guy that stood like on the bridge of the executor and like sat there, like, did all this and on like Cloud City, like, shot at Luke Skywalker. I do not buy this is the same character. Not saying that this character is like any less interesting. It just feels like a new character than anything else because like, we have no reason to attach this to Boba Fett, like outside of the fact that like his name is in the title. Maybe he acts different around Vader. He's got to like play it super cool. Like he's got to be the he's like on the job then. And we're seeing the more of that the Boba Fett that's not around. Uh, I I could buy it more as the one from Return of the Jedi. Maybe how about that? Um, 
like again, I, I flying don't around like an idiot, you know, messing up, you know. Well, no, but like I feel like uh, like Boba Fett is such a again this weird anomaly as a character, and it goes back to that uh, documentary they did what on Disney Plus Day, like Under the Helmet. And basically, like, the low-key thesis of that documentary is that, like, oh, Boba Fett is kind of an enigma as, like, a character in, like, pop culture and cinema. He's really just, like, a fantastic costume yes. and a blank canvas. And what they're trying – and they're deliberately – and this is – you can tell this is intentional either on Favreau or um, – oh, God. Rodriguez. Yes, thank you. Um, Robert Rodriguez's part is that like they, they don't want to touch that original trilogy because that is such a blank canvas you can never it, it, like it's that like Hitchcockian thing of like oh like the idea of beh what's behind the curtain and not knowing is infinitely more spectacular than actually pulling it back so I respect the decision it's just like I I I don't know like Boba Fett feels so reserved in the original trilogy and yet like in this he's so hands-on in a way that I I just didn't expect. I don't think it's strongly connecting with the canonical prequel era Fed really at all. I think they're it's sort of missing on both counts for me, but I don't really mind. I think on paper it makes sense because we're meant to believe that he's really grown as a person because he spent five years with these Tusken Raiders, which I don't know how they're going to sort of deal with that time jump because it feels like where the flashbacks are now we're we're like month two be or month one or two with them because he's still wearing the his, he just got out of his jumpsuit from the sarlacc pit at the end of this episode so it's just like at what point are we going to skip ahead four years or something and uh, and but i but i but i on, on right now and when he picks up in mandalorian five years later from these flashbacks I mean, it's even worse than that. It's in the same show, scene to scene. We have this gap, and he just seems like the same person to me. So I don't <laughs> see how how we're supposed to have this massive character. Like the idea is that he is original trilogy Boba Fett in these flashback scenes because he's being he's growing as a as a side effect of dealing with these Tuscan Raiders. But that that type of range either is not it's not in this it's not on the page, it's not being directed, or he's just we've decided we're not doing that he's just the same guy the whole time pretty much i mean i like i don't uh so i think the idea is that he changed because of that experience and they're sort of showing him like learn how to fight and stuff but but this is but this is the weird thing though is that like i like again i respect everything they're doing i don't even disagree with it like the way like i was with mandalorian season one it's just that like okay when it comes to Star Wars fans and Boba Fett's pos like position in Star Wars lore, he is the greatest bounty hunter of all time. Like he, like he's the guy who captured Han Solo, and that, like, and we talked about that how many months ago. Like that's the reason why, like a lot of Star Wars fans have always held him in high regard without him really doing anything. Is it like, oh, he captured the the slickest man in the galaxy, and he did it kind of like single handedly. Even like think about the entire Empire, Vader's looking for Han Solo and the Money and Falcon. And yet Boba Fett was out thinking Han Solo. And then like you look in this, it's just that like, again, not that they're regressing the character because yes, this is the same guy who gets like bumped in the back and like he literally flies into the side of the sail barge. So like, no, is he infallible? No. But I think as we all know, Lucas's decision in Jedi was because it was one of the earliest signs of Lucas's contempt for the fan base. Is that like, I don't understand why this thing is popular. I have control over it. I'm going to show them who's boss. And that's why he gets sidelined. 
um, or taken out like in kind of the worst way possible. So no, like I said, like clearly they're working what they were given and I don't disagree with any choice they've made. Um, I just like, again, it feels once again, like it, it's that mandalinian thing of like, oh, it's not Boba Fett. It's like, this would have been like a more interesting, like a character that was just kind of like kidnapped, like a la Shami Skywalker. And like had to use their wits and resources and you tell a new story. Like, I think I would have found like, again, like obviously Boba Fett's here because he's one of the most recognizable aspects of Star Wars. But it just, again, it it doesn't feel like the character that we're led to believe is almost like the greatest of the great bounty hunters. And and there's also dumb things too, is that like, like clearly at this point in the storyline the Tuscan Raiders allow him to kind of like leave or, or come and go as he pleases for the most part and it's like if he's going to be gone for five years like what happened to slave one like clearly like I would imagine like whatever spaceport he he parked it at the Jawas would have gotten to it considering that we know like what happened to the Razor Crest something sits there for more than like 60 minutes that they get their fingers into it it's um it's it's in Jabba's palace. They've already they've showed it. I'm I I believe it's been parked there the whole time personally and and uh it was Bib was just keeping it locked up. Really? You th- you think it was behind like I I in a parking lot somewhere? Well there's a there one of the trailers for the show shows it in Jabba's palace for yeah, sure. Yeah, that's where he had it parked now that he's like the crime lord of Tatooine. But that's where we, but that's where he was last. So why wouldn't it be parked there? Is there is there any previous canon thing of where you park like your vehicles when you visit Java? Yeah, yeah he probably took a desert train there. Come on, those things are going everywhere. <laughs> but that's the thing though, because like I, I have that very very specific memory from the two thousand eight movie where like when Obi Wan like basically parks outside like in like the quasi parking lot to like negotiate like for like Rhoda's like what return. Jabba clearly has a sweet underground parking garage because he had so many buddies over and you, there's not a single vehicle parked outside. That's true. I don't oh, know. Space train. They, those guys all took the bus of the whoa, train whoa. there. Oh, Ross, not space train, space shuttle. Here's a little shuttle. Like it's like, imagine it's Disney world and you're on the little carts. Like the parking lot is like how many like miles away and there's a little tram that sits there just like goes like half the speed of smell and just brings them there. The, the regional term is long speeder. <laughs> so, yeah, what did you guys think of all of that? I mean, it is following those tropes of of, of older films, of course. But I, did you like seeing the Tuscans just out there kind of having to take their pot shots and having a mission? And I think of all that, I mean, the fun of it all, like, when he brought those speeders back and they have to do all that. And if we, I kind of want to get into a little bit of that, when he, you talked about him wandering off that that's probably my favorite part of it when he does wander off. And did you notice who the female in the bar was at the time of watching it? No, but I did watch one of those like Easter egg well, YouTube videos. I, okay. I, I, could, I couldn't believe it when they actually like brought it to my attention, like two and two clicked. I was like, oh, God, that's like, so, yeah, that's I want to say reference. That is the I, deepest of deep cuts. I caught it because they, they had the uh, subtitles on. And when she says something, she only says a couple things, but it said Cammy. And immediately Cammy, of course, I know from the deleted scenes of A New Hope. I think she does Luke's the chick Luke like she called him wormy. And uh, of course, famous deleted scene of A New Hope. But Cammy's still kicking around on Tatooine, hanging out in bars, getting harassed by these guys. Well, well, Russ, do you know where it is? Where that oh, was? That was well, that Anchorhead? 
It's Tashi Station. Oh, that's Tashi Station. Oh, okay. So she gets she made the it. The set there. is the same. The set is the same. Like physically, like a lot, like in these videos, people are doing like side by side comparisons and it's the same like set, so to speak. Oh, that's sad. Cammy never got out of Tashi Station. And Luke would have known. Well oh, okay. Oh, that's and that is Fixer with yeah. her as well. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Wow. And Luke could have <laughs> could have Luke could have visited. Maybe he did visit them. He, he knew they were there. Huh. I think he there's like maybe one canon story where he has a brief interaction with them because that's something we, uh, we dig up nowadays. But whereas before they just work basically canon because of the deleted scene. Doesn't isn't isn't in the last Jedi novelization like he has like a hallucination or something that he's married to her. Like an alternate life. Yes, I remember <laughs> this. I, I remember this discussion where we did talk about the, a brief scene of him um, reflecting on what his life would have been if he wasn't didn't leave Tatooine and that he, he thought he would have made it with Cammy and got to run Tashi Station. I'll take your word for it. Oh, it's so exciting. <laughs> fixer. Star Wars in 2022. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's that's the thing, right? It's like, who is that? Like, like, I guess. Uh, like any sort of little outpost would have served the purpose. So it, it's it's not like they're bending over backwards to include this stuff because at the end of the day, there was like Jabba goons in there that just got thrashed and that was the whole, it could have been anywhere. But So it was, it's just window dressing. It's cool that they're there. I think they did a pretty good uh, casting match. Like, like she looked right. I guess they're supposed to be like, nine years older than that deleted scene so like it, it kind of works is that it it's not, not wait whoa because is it not just nine years it's it's probably about nine years because we're talking the beginning of a new yeah. hope yeah you're right so like about oh, yeah you're right and this is about jedi time right because this was a flashback oh okay because what oh, they were cause, actually cause, you're right no yeah, you're right it'll be less it'd be like five yeah. years or four because yeah. this was uh, this is post jedi like he's still wearing his uh he still has his flight suit on as we've uh yeah. we've discussed Yes, yeah, so you're right. It's it's under five. <laughs> so that makes yeah, sense. Okay, that makes sense. She's not forty. It's not forty years later, and she's still at Tashi Station, right? She well, that's actually... thi- well, that's the thing, though. Like what? Because she's like Luke's what nineteen in in, in New Hope. Yeah. So wait, so so she so she's probably about twenty four, like maybe twenty three, twenty five, and she looks like she's in her mid to late forties. <laughs> so it's perfect for Tatooine aging. So we gotta give credit where credit is due. <laughs> That Luke comes back, they're like, "Wow, Wormy, you're still a kid. What are you?" And they're like, "Guys, we're the same age. You guys look terrible." Luke Skywalker comes back. It's like, Luke, you got all this like CGI Vaseline on your face. What happened? He's like, "Look, I got in a car wreck and I look better than you guys." Okay, <laughs> and a Wampa. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it was cool seeing seeing the that recreated that recreated set. Um, I mean, it's really just like a, it's like a very square room with a pane of glass, but, but you can, you can uh, definitely tell they match up this sort of the doorway and the, the control panels and all that. They have a video game in there too. That was cool. I didn't notice that. They have to have an arcade game, Russ. Come on. Go waste time with your friends later. You know, that's what they're doing. They're playing that, whatever the video game they had in there. That was there, right? That wasn't the club. They had the video game was at Tashi Station. Yeah, the video game was at Tashi Station. They were playing like uh, the intergalactic version of Battleship Star Destroyer. They're playing Star Destroyer, and it's not in atmosphere, so we can talk uh, about it. It's fine. Yeah. So that's so they did have Star in there. They were playing the game Star Destroyer. So there, it it does have that Star Wars feel to it. Well, this okay. This is the question I have about like different forms of like deep cut Star Wars nostalgia. 
in these like contemporary like Disney Plus shows. Like the Tashi Station, Cammy Fixer, that is like you have to really know what it is you're looking at. Like I remember back like in like oh god like our Rogue One like this was like after Rogue One came out. Like I had a prediction being like I wouldn't be surprised if they had like a different version of the movie where like it ends with like Luke Skywalker looking up at the sky and he sees the battle happening and that's like the final ending of Rogue One. And they obviously decide to go more the Princess Leia route of all this. But clearly like the the deleted scenes are part of the Star Wars what zeitgeist so like you have that level of like a deep cut reference like you have to know what it is that you're looking at like you can't just it's it's a very subtle like nostalgia or what the member berry and then you have like the mandalorian season one with the little like blue alien guy that's like the bounty on the snow planet he's like well i was hoping to get back to like my planet before life day he looks directly into the camera and winks like I, and that's the thing where I think is so fascinating. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, that's the thing that's I find so interesting about like where we're going is like Star Wars media, and that like we're still doing the member berries, but are they doing it because they're running out of member berries, or are they doing it because they're actually starting to like refine it and making it more clever and earned? They're reaching for those member berries because you know last uh Last episode, I the book I couldn't remember where we were talking about this hilarious painting of a, a female Gamorrean with her child was the Illustrated Star Wars Universe, which is a which is a 1996 book where Macquarie did a whole bunch of new paintings and they pulled from but they pulled from that book again in this episode actually, which just just for a just for a like a background sort of framing piece like the when uh, when Fett's carving his gaffy stick, there's this weird sort of like curved piece of a giant engine or something and there's a painting in that book of a tuscan raider in front of just the identical piece of wreckage like hanging out there so they're they pulled from a, a a 90s nostalgia and i and i mean i like this is a book i had like like when it came out and like i recognize that piece of spaceship hall instantly i don't know what that <laughs> i don't know what that does like what is like what kind of a member berry is that this is from a 90 1996 book i don't like it doesn't connect with it doesn't connect with any idea or story beat right it's like purely iconography well i, I think, think it's pure macquarie they always want anything they can mind of macquarie we will see everything macquarie has ever drawn star wars related on a disney uh, uh screen at some point well, I don't know how much of that is like cowboy hat man, because if you go back to even Rebels, like everything from Rebels was like m- like discarded Macquarie like concept art. And that's the thing that like I, I obviously it's cheaper because I can just go back to it. They own it. So you can save on like concept artists, like having to design things. But it's like I still find it so baffling that like what these are ideas that lucas discarded in the 70s 80s and 90s and somehow like what 40 years later they're there it's like yeah this is good like there's just something so weird about this and like like chris was saying this piece of concept art with the tuscan raider and the bent piece of metal like i literally have seen this on like facebook twitter instagram like dozens of times and the fan base is weirdly getting off to this and i'm just like like i get it like it was a picture in the book from like how many years ago but like they do this so often, like you guys were saying, I don't know why we're getting excited about it. Because that's my Star Wars. 
That's my Star Wars they're putting on the film right there. That's my Star Wars we're seeing right but, there. But this is like... like That's what Chris, it is. Well, it, no, you're right. But like... Chris, That's like, my Star Wars, Zach. But, but Chris... Okay, Chris, how old is this book like that you like referenced? Like, like when was this published? 96. Okay, and how many like things of this they think you they printed? Like what? Maybe five, ten thousand. This wasn't exactly like a Art of the Force Awakens that everybody bought like in December 2015. I don't know. I think this book was a big deal just because you have like let, let me paint a picture for you, pun intended. This book, <laughs> this book, this book is is written like in universe as a before travel blogs existed it's a in-universe travel blog of like six or seven planets including coruscant before even the special edition came out so you have like 10 15 pages in here of macquarie paintings of coruscant when you didn't really know what that was and it was mind-blowing so like i thought thought this book was a big deal you you're you're literally getting a look at coruscant from episode one until rebels basically because of how much this stuff was mined <laughs> like a couple a couple of them are from and this is 96 right so a couple of them are from unused uh unused paintings from return of the jedi but most of it was new stuff and most of it did end up being used as a uh, reference material so i like i thought this book was a big deal but i had i had i really couldn't tell you how it was received at the time that's the thing this feel, it's like one of those things where they just kind of Clearly, somebody in the production holds this book in, again, probably Cowboy Hat Man. Somebody in his orbit, hold, if it's not just him, his orbit holds it in very high regard, and they're treating this almost like a Bible. Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me. That would seem like his timing, too. And I would say, I mean, I was a huge Star Wars fan. I, it kind of, you know, slacked off a bit at, at that time. I, I'm not super aware of this book either. So I, I think it is a, a cowboy hat man obsession that he's this is something he's held on to. This is this is his Star Wars, as, as Joe would say. Well, it might be because another thing that's from this 1996, the illustrated Star Wars universe is the title of the book is um th th those those Dagobah spiders that they keep reusing now there was a there was a really basic sketch uh, of that spider for uh Empire Strikes Back but the like fully rendered painting where it has that pasty white texture to it that's from this 1996 book and that was in Rebels and Mandalorian see so you you you're connecting it all what do those all have in common it's cowboy hat man guys <laughs> <laughs> spoiler alert yeah like no, like you look like this book. I, I'm looking it up right now, and like it goes for anywhere from ten to like twenty five dollars used. So like it's there's a hardcover one, but yeah, uh, the, but but like like I said, like I it's it's beautiful Macquarie paintings, but like like I was trying to say earlier, like there's not a much like Cami and Fixer. Like I I've seen all of those deleted scenes. Some of the deleted scenes scenes have sort of a lot more narrative relevance than Cami and Fixer. I couldn't tell you a thing they said in that scene i've seen it i know the names of the characters well that's that's the weird thing about like, like again this goes back into like which i'm I, I am so surprised and not to bring this more into like just like overall star war stuff but like oh god it was during the summer it was what i'm gonna butcher his name i have the book i'm gonna sit there physically look at the book as i can butcher this gentleman's name howard kazajan did i say it right kazanjian kazanjian I'll get it right one day. Um, but no, like there was what the quote in the book from like Marshall Lucas, where it was like, oh, like, like, oh God, like the mess that like JJ Abrams and Kathleen Kennedy have like done to my Star Wars. And it's weird that like the reason why you don't have like, oh God, forget about Cammy and Fixer, you don't get Big's Dark Lighter for the most part, is because 
Marshall Lucas is like, no, this is superfluous. Like, trim it, trim it, condense it. Like, maybe the OG JJ, like, editing person in that sense, like, streamline it, but, like, in the most effective way possible. Um, again, it, it, it's, like, a weird, like, reflection of the using discarded Ralph McQuarrie artwork. It's, like, these were ideas that were discarded. These were characters that were discarded. And for some reason, we're just bringing them back because we like very niche nostalgia well i mean in the case of that book it's not so much discarded as it was commissioned specifically for that book so it's even weirder because it's like it's not even a relic of the original trilogy it's like a direct reference to a a book that was not even a movie tie-in at the time per se so it's just like a weird version of like having a star wars t-shirt like nobody else has and like wearing it all the time like is, is that what this is it'd be like a t-shirt that is like iconography from like the new Jedi order novels or something. It's, just, <laughs> it's without a title, without any text on there. Like it's so, but like, like you know what I mean though? Like I, like I saw it, I appreciated. I knew what, I knew what they were referencing right away in the case of the like weird hollowed out starship and uh, that the Tusken Raiders were hanging out in. It's just, it would be better if they found ways to like reference I, like I don't know what a good example would be, honestly, because I honestly couldn't tell you the context of the Camion Fixer conversation and the deleted scene. Just a bunch of teenagers. They just call Luke. St- Luke just runs in. He's like, "Hey, there's a battle going on, guys." They're like, "Oh, wormy, you're all getting excited." And he's like, "No, look." And then they're like, "I don't know." And that's kind of it. And they're like, and then Cammy's. I think her line is, "Oh, Biggs. Oh." You're so hot with your cape. And that's all I remember. You know what I mean, though? Like, they, I, like, I want, like, I like that stuff, but I want it to be sort of synergistic, if I may say such a ridiculous thing, with the direction that part of the story is already going in. You know what I mean? It's just like, it's a convenient backdrop in most of these cases where they're using it. It's not actually, it's not a second layer supporting the narrative. Well, I think, well, well, that also explains why we spent so much time on Tatooine the last couple of years. It's it's like, it's becoming, it's like you said, Chris, it's becoming convenient for synergistic reasons. Like there's a reason why we spent so much time there in the Mandalorian. There's a reason why we're spending so much time there now. Like it's kind of a miracle we got Jakku and Pasana in, in the sequel trilogy now that we think about it. That's true. And, and yeah, because that is, and it, it also brings back that thing, like, why didn't they just make Galaxy's Edge Tatooine? They obviously want to tell us that Tatooine equals Star Wars home base, and it kind of always has. And- give it, Russ, give, give it time. Like, I, I, I 100%, I would be shocked. Like, and like, one of those things we definitely have to kind of touch upon is, like, the, like all the stuff that's happening with the Galactic Star Cruiser and how apparently that's starting to like hemorrhage like reservations because like i get emails all the time now from disney being like hey like are you interested like it's not as full as you think it is and it's like that's like disney god like yes disney hawks its wares but usually it's nothing like that's that exclusive um and i wouldn't be surprised like i really think like and again and everybody who with half a brain in their head knew that galaxies or star wars land should have been tatooine Especially you're in Florida. I, I, you can always just ignore the rain. Just build a canopy. It's just a big canopy. All they have to do is buy a second sun. It's not that hard. <laughs> the interesting thing is like there's I forget the name of the uh, the show, but there is a show on Disney Plus that has a episode about Galaxy's Edge, like in the making of it. And like in that, it's explicitly stated we were literally going to make it Tatooine, but Bob Iger said no. 
Like that's just in it's in a Disney produced documentary series about the land. I think there is a Galen Urso though that is a part of that team that it made it enough to where he's like, all you need is a small modification. It can easily become Tatooine. I made this to look like Fixer's Tashi Station, but it's it's not. It's something else, but it can be changed. And there is going to be some kind of Rogue One team that's going to go in and um and solve it. Well, that but the the interesting thing about that though is like is nondescript Tatooine or let's go even crazier is Moss Espa as iconic as Moss Eisley. I don't know. Like is it No. Like does it alleviate your annoyance with Batu Zach if it is suddenly a fringe corner of Moss Espa? Like I'm not sure that's much better, is it? I well, uh, I I don't know. I I think gal- the the jury is still out on Galaxy's Edge. Um, cause I think when it comes to Tatooine, there's like a giant 800 pound gorilla in the room and it's called Kenobi, which is going to be more or less exclusively on Tatooine. Um, I, I don't think any of this is an accident or by chance. Um, and, and like I said, I, I mentioned, we've mentioned this a couple of times, just like the fact that like Bob Iger for the most part is gone now. I, Bob Chapek is, is very, very, uh, stingy especially when it comes to the theme parks, the theme parks are there to make money. They're not there to cost money. So no, I don't think the galaxy's edge revamp is coming anytime soon, but I do think that it's something that like, if Kenobi um, book of Boba Fett, Lord knows where Mandalorian season three takes us. If any of this like trends in that direction, like there's also, again, not to get too far into theme park nonsense. There's star tours that's that's weirdly like adjacent to galaxy's edge yet is removed from galaxy's edge like as in like a narrative level and anybody who knows their theme park like history whether it be like universal studios like with the uh, harry potter diagonally and the hogsmeade it, it, think about it you, like, do we know where batu is relative to like tatooine like they're both in the outer rim right you're getting too meta for me like you still shouldn't be able to walk there between them no, but you could very okay, but like okay, Chris hasn't watched Russ. Did you watch? Because Chris is deliberately staying like spoiler free when it comes to like. I've watched the ride. Track. I've watched okay. the ride at, at with you talking about Rise of Resistance yes. ride. I have like, watched the the ride through. Yes. Okay, so look at it this way. So Russ Russ is gonna know what what I'm saying. Like in that ride, part of the queue is like you're on Batu. The resistance is like, oh, like we're gonna help you. Like we need to sit there do this thing so like you can help the resistance. And then like you get brought aboard a star destroyer, and it's all and it's it's very clever. Like it's it's cleverly done. I could see Star Tours being like a version of like okay, like they because eventually they're gonna demolish the Muppet ride. The Muppet ride's been around for like thirty years. Like the Muppet, like the Disney for how many years now still doesn't know what to do with the Muppets. Like every show bombs out of the gate. I could see them like demolishing the Muppet thing, completely redoing. It'd be sad. It'd be so many poor sad people watching them just not. Kermit and Fozzie and all of them. I would feel that. Like I said, as somebody who remember going on that ride, like when I was a kid, like I cried when that little blue thing like flies around the auditorium. Um, but like, no, like R.I.P. Muppet Vision. <laughs> the, the current Muppets are a Shakespearean tragedy, man. Like Fra- <laughs> Frank Frank Oz has given a recent interview saying, "I'd love yeah. to, do, I'd love to do it again. They don't want me back. They don't." And it's just. And it's just like because because you, because he's he's not a yes man, you know. He's gonna he's gonna do Muppets how he wants to. He's eighty years old, so <laughs> then he's, he doesn't play. But uh, but 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 no, do you but- do you really think they're gonna like they're gonna make that much real estate of the park like Star Wars Land though? It de- it 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 depends. Like if okay, 
And this goes back into theme park history. Cause like the only reason why you got star Wars land and even like avatar and animal kingdom is because like Harry Potter scared the ever living daylights out of Disney with what happened at universal. Like I remember when that happened, like universals, like, Oh God, return on investment for that was like two to three years. And they literally made back their investment like in three months. Like it was unheard of. Like it basically scared Disney in a way that Disney had never been. Again, it was the first time Disney was authentically challenged in the theme park world. And they did Avatar. Like that was a very, like, oh God, it was a less, I think it was like a year after uh, uh, Hogsmeade opened that they signed that deal with Jimmy C. It took like, well, like the better part of a decade to get that thing open. But like, that was the plan. Like, oh, like we, like what's the next closest thing to Harry Potter? The highest grossing film of all time, Avatar. And this is before like 20th Century Fox. Um, and then like it was Star Wars was like, what, five years after they closed that deal? Like they finally announced Galaxy's, or like Galaxy's Edge was coming. Um, I could see them doing that. It depends on how much money Galaxy's Edge is bringing in. Like if they're looking at it, because like, um, like I, okay, I was going to save this for the end of the recording though, but spoiler alert, I, I think I told Chris this. Like I'm like two weeks from now, I won't be around to do the recording because I'm going to Florida and I am going to Galaxy's Edge. Whoa, you got to record some there, man, as oh, you walk oh, around. Oh, oh. oh, I will. Oh, trust me, I will. Um, and what's happening is that like, you can't do, like, I booked this like a month in advance and you literally can't do anything. Like everything is full, like the Droid Depot, the lightsaber building experience, Ogabuga's Cantina, um, everything is booked and like, it shouldn't be a problem to get on Smuggler's Run. Rise of the Resistance should be easy as long as you do it first thing in the morning. But it's the idea that like, I think, especially like in a post COVID world, the capacity is too like narrow so like how else do you increase like like profits in that area it's like well i think about you're not making any money money off muppet vision star tours isn't making any money so what do you do like you think about that like once again with book of boba fett we go i don't know the name of the what's the like the casino he walks into with dj uh, with what captain rex being like the card counting or the card dealing droid um that could very easily be a thing I, I, it's one of those things where, like, I think Kenobi's going to have its own version of, of the Tatooine bar that we've seen um, numerous times now. That venue is far too exciting to exist in an actual theme park. Um, it's, <laughs> it's, 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 it's not, there's a lot going on there that is not. Yeah, they're going to have a male and female Twi'leks walking up to you like that. Yeah. Oh, that'd be great. No, yeah. but I think, but I think the idea is that, like, clearly people want in. But they, again, all of Galaxy's Edge was designed years before the current state of the world. And I think they're going to sit there and want, like, look at, like, okay, look at that. Do we know the name of the casino in, in Book of Boba Fett? Do we have a name for that yet? I'll try and find it while you continue. They okay, do what, have a name. They do call it something specific in it. Okay, I, Chris is going to sit there, fact check me in real time. Um, so, like, look at that place or that set relative to, like, any of the cantinas we've seen in Star Wars. Like, oh God, Wurz Cantina is so small and dingy. It's clearly meant to be a dive bar. And then you have this casino that's like, oh, it's open. It's well lit. Like it has all this like room in it. And I wouldn't be surprised. Like anybody who knows their Disney theme park stuff, like anytime a new like movie TV show goes into production, there is like a small team of like theme park people whose job it is just to like look into the production and see that if this thing blows up, what elements can we pull from for a potential theme park thing? Like my favorite one was for the, like the, uh, 
Johnny Depp, Army Hammer, Lone Ranger movie. Like apparently like, like Disney had the, like if that film took off like Pirates of the Caribbean level, they were going to completely do redo Big Thunder Mountain like at Disney World, at Disneyland and do it like to the Lone Ranger with like, oh God, like, oh God, who, who's the bad guy in that? Oh God, um, I forget. It's all Lone Ranger. Well, no, it's even like he was the even in the serial from like what the fifties. Um, they were gonna sit there and do all that, like they were gonna like redo the train to be like that train from the last like uh, the, the the third act like climax. Um, Disney always does this. John Carter, they they always have theme park stuff in mind when they're sitting there doing because they want to extrapolate it. And I could see that being the potential way here. Like again, Star Tours is weirdly kind of outside of Galaxy's Edge, both literally and narratively. And you have Muppet Vision that nobody cares about outside of like a, like a niche of a group of fans. And every time I say this, my just starts laughing every time I say Muppet Vision. I love like, I- the poor Muppet, the poor Muppet uh, people. And, and don't get me wrong. I, I love the Muppets. It's, my favorite Christmas album is John Denver and the Muppets still to this day. But the current state of the Muppets, it is it does like it is like you want to pull the plug on them. And like just they kind of do need to maybe they do need to pull the plug. That's the thing. It's like, it's not make again. And that's the thing about like Disney now is that like, it's not about like rides anymore. It's about the experiences. There's a reason why like the waits to meet like character, like actors in costume are five to six hours. And the waits for like the rides are like two, three. It's because it's the it, people want to be able to take a picture and put it on Instagram. You really can't take a good like Instagram selfie is like the thing is like twirling you around. Um, again, it goes back to what Chris's thesis was a couple what weeks ago, the thing of, uh, like why I like find smugglers run so boring is that like the main draw of that ride isn't flying the money in Falcon. It's sitting in front of the uh, chessboard. And I'm like, no, like that's not what I want. Like I want to be able to fly the Falcon. Like I want a cool ride. And it's like, no, people want to sit there, have that selfie social media experience. And I think the like, that's what galaxy's edge is catering towards. But the problem is that it's just so small that it's not able, they're not maximizing their profits off of it. But I could be wrong. I I, I look forward to, uh, like Chris said, I look forward to walking into uh, Galaxy's Edge and uh, guffawing at the Millennium Falcon. Do I wonder? Do we know for a fact that the uh, like the lightsaber forge experience is that like literally one room, or do they have like two or three of them that go simultaneously? <laughs> like that's where you see this sort of bottleneck thing, right? Like you'd think they would have just built that in a way that they would have a bunch of rooms, but I don't. Maybe they did. I don't, I know it's like, cause like I, I found the thing on the Disney experience app, like it's only 20 minutes. So like they, supposedly they can get like two or three shows quote unquote in an hour. Um, and that's the thing. Like I can't even, I think about that. So that's what the parks open from nine to nine. So 12 times what two, three, so that's 24 to 36 shows potentially during a day. Um, and that's not a lot. And I think you can, what I, I haven't watched a lot of those videos carefully, but there's maybe a dozen people per show. So like, like it's not a huge, like people eater and considering that like there's people lining up to basically drop like minimum $200 for their own custom lightsaber. The really beautiful way smugglers run is designed where like there's a carousel of Falcon mm-hmm. cockpits that rotate to the, to the door that leads up to the, the cockpit on in the, the queue. Like that's awesome. You'd think 
considering people are paying $250 per lightsaber, they would have had like three of those rooms hooked up, like all like in a circle at least. But, but, but look at it this way though. Like the reason why that lightsaber experience exists is because of Harry Potter and the Ollivanders experience. Like that's Disney. And again, it was one of the very few times that like Disney was not the trailblazer. They were emulating somebody else. Um, again, everybody thinks that like, oh, Disney bought Star Wars because like, oh, it was such a profitable IP. And it's like, no, like they they need they didn't have anything like that in their current stable. So what's the next closest thing? Like, like that's the thing. Like Bob Iger didn't sit there and care about these movies. He looked at this as in like, okay, this is how we're gonna be able to blow, how we're going to beat the the opposing team. Yeah, it makes I, sense. And, and, and here, you're right. Harry Potter was so huge, and I, I know I've I've actually been to the Harry Potter thing, and I've seen the things of Galaxy's Edge. It does seem that they put way more into, but like I said, I haven't seen Galaxy's Edge yet up close. But I think, but I think also the thing is that like when you go to Hogsmeade or Diagon Alley, like Ollivanders is a very specific thing that happens to Harry Potter in that first book slash movie. There, there's there's none of like Savi's lightsaber depot or whatever they're called, whatever it's called. That doesn't happen in any of the movies. Like the idea of making a, a lightsaber is something that's not really touched upon in any of the movies specifically, outside of what maybe oh god I can't even think of one like where like building a lightsaber is a focal point of a plot. I mean it's a it's a pretty big deal in the Knights of the Old Republic game, which you've never played. Oh okay yeah. okay Grandpa yeah reference your eighteen year old you're not eighteen going on nineteen year old game yeah it's a pretty um, good, no but the it's a good moment but the point being is that like think about it, the most like we've ever seen the craft of a lightsaber be a plot point was in that one Clone Wars episode with David Tennant is like the like multi-millennial millennia like aged robot. And I think that's the weird thing about, again, it goes back to like the weird disconnect about how they don't understand Star Wars. Um, it, it's like, if you want to do that, like, like do Ilum. Like that, in, like again, like, like if you want to do like, which you can't do, I get it for many reasons. But it's like, but like Russ and I already talked about, it. like it's the idea that they do a pretty nice transition of like getting you from bot to onto the first order Star Destroyer. It's a pretty seamless transition. They can kind of do anything. And that's where I think it depends on where the future of Star Wars is for the next like two to three years. I think if anything, anything like blows up as big as like the Mandalorian did. And even that, the fact that you still don't have a Din Djarin character walking around any of the theme parks outside of like maybe a parade or two, I still think is shocking, which I think leads, think like, okay, oh God, I'm going down like a deep rabbit hole. Like years ago, they had like a, like, an autonomous Wally animatronic that would like walk around and sit there like go Wally at you and like people lost their minds. Oh, so like, you're thinking big whiskey should be crawling around? There should be a big whiskey in his pram, like walking around with like, <laughs> floating around with, messing with people. It wouldn't be hard to do that. Like with today's technology, like Chris has said, like this is stuff that like apparently for like the Galaxy's Edge Star Cruise, I'm sorry, the uh, Galactic Star Cruiser, where it's like, oh, they're apparently having like a nightmare trying to do like that lightsaber they had the Ray like uh, actress do. And like apparently, like they tried doing this at like like the dinner shows, and the thing just like collapses the moment you slightly move it because it's essentially a uh, what a digital. Uh... Yeah, have you ever tried to swing around a measuring tape? It doesn't work out. It's not good. Even if you had, even if you had two together for extra support, it's probably not. It's probably not super but that's, sturdy. Yeah. But that's the thing, though. Like, this is the same company that literally made like a one-to-one replica of Wally and had it, like walking around the parks, and like I like and, and like they were able to do that. Like, oh god, like ten plus years ago, 
And now like these sort of ideas that like don't seem that far-fetched that somebody I'm pretty sure like with given like a $3,000 budget could figure it out. And they're just like, eh, they're just like, eh. And, and that's where I think they're waiting for that next big thing to blow up. Like I blow up in a good way. I mean, like, like really become like, again, a, like a force awakens level, like tour de force where they're like, okay, we're going to scrap Tatooine. We're doing sequel trilogy. It needs to be that seismic of like a thing for them. I don't think our, our classic Moss Eisley type Tatooine is a, is a brilliant theme park environment personally. Like I just, there's you, you never saw much happening there. Moss Espa clearly has a lot more going on. You got little hot dog stands for Jar Jar to rob. You got all kinds of like brothels and like weird better, <laughs> better, better aliens. And we like, get old ladies telling us the storm's coming too. Yeah. Oh my God. It clearly Moss Espa. Sales coming, Annie. Get to the gift shop and you go, oh, okay. Got, yeah, I mean, like Watto's, like literally the only thing Moss Eisley has going for it is the cantina. So like that, and I mean that's a good, that's pretty good, but that's the only thing that there is in the whole town. So I, exactly. So I think again, I think that's why we're weirdly, uh, oh god, building up Mos Espa. Yeah, I, I think that's probably what it is. Is that like it, it depends? Like if this if this resonates, which. I don't think it is because like it, it's not like becoming this like thing that everybody's talking about. Like it clearly, it's it, it, it's appeasing Star Wars fans for the most part. Outside of the ones that are mad that there's no reek in the first episode. Yeah, because Moss Espa also has pod racing, which is like that. That could be that. Could that's be still fun. a dirt. That's still a dirty <laughs> word in the fandom, but, though. I've seen uh, I've seen pod racing on Malastar. It's very fast, very dangerous. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I've seen it there too in 64-bit graphics. But uh, but I, on the subject of Moss Espa, I do have to print yet another retraction alongside my underground black pumpkin retraction. Um, uh, uh, there are, which I posted in the Knights of Vader Facebook group, there are some 1995 Doug Chang concept drawings of Moss Espa that look very much like how we see it in the Book of Boba Fett, where it's sort of dug into the ground and like sort of built inside this canyon. Doug Chang into the ground. Yes. There you go. He's here all week, everyone. I'm but, sorry. No, no, but uh, but uh, it's <laughs> kids uh, late enough. Yeah, you can't. I I could wouldn't have been able to resist that either. Um, but uh, the interesting thing for me would be to like, like maybe we need to to tweet Rob Coleman or something and be like, when you guys were doing those wide shots in episode one, like tell me there's like a big groove in the, in the middle of that city that we just can't see, but you guys worked on it a little bit. Like, I want to know that now, <laughs> but, but, uh, but yeah. So like I was being an, I was being an episode one pleb and I didn't know about those concept drawings. So I, I I'm kind of ashamed. So what else? Maybe it's another, maybe it's a different most Espa. maybe like how there's different Springfields all throughout like the U S maybe there's multiple most Espas on Tatooine. Uh, it was a good, I mean, they're talking about Jabba hanging out there. Like, I'm pretty sure it's the same. All right. Aspect. I would imagine it's like, it's like, imagine saying like, you only been to one Springfield. Like I imagine at some point in anybody's life, they've been to two different Springfield towns. <laughs> Chris, I'm trying to give you the mental no, gymnastics yeah, no, I, to explain this. No, I'm, I'm fine with accepting my defeat, but, uh, because the, the concept art clarifies that it is the same Moss Espa because it's Phantom Menace concept art for a Moss Espa. But, um, you know, but you know, it'd be, I, it'd just be cool if they, if there was like previs for like a different establishing shot of the city that was far more descriptive than what we got in episode one. Like that'd be cool if it actually like, if they were actually headed in that direction and we're seeing it now, that that's fun. Um, one other thing I wanted to th throw out there before we, before we moved on from this episode, like, so like, 
I, I was surprised to see some an attempt at live action huts. I they didn't look bad to the point where they I, they were distracted me, but am I crazy? I think episode one Jabba looked better than these guys, and that's twenty two years ago. They definitely look better than A New Hope Disney Plus Jabba. Like that's still even the redone version of that is an abomination. They weren't distractingly bad. Very Clone Warsy. Where they got those little tattoos on their on their little gullets or whatever, and, and you know the 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 bright colors and stuff. Very very cowboy hat. Job, job of hot i'm um, yeah i'm just curious like what they actually had on set because sometimes you get a look at these behind the scenes and they have like a rudimentary version of the real thing just in in place for like lighting reference and for the actors like i wonder if they had like a static prop that was like kind of good but like it would have to be super light i guess because you have this weird f- phenomenon of like 10 guys carrying them out on little poles but uh, I, I just, you know, it's just it's just weird to me that it's like, like, I know a lot of people, they sort of romanticize the original Jabba, like, but uh, but I'll, I'll be the first to admit, like, some parts of him look weird, like his tail, his arms look a little rubbery, but like, the face is awesome, and there's something you can tell that's just like, it's something about Return of the Jedi Jabba, like, they haven't, like, it's up right up there with the alien queen in terms of the most complex animatronic slash puppet creatures that have ever existed because the art died off not long after that and i just i don't like you'd think they would have taken a crack at something practical or at least like half and half like grogu or something because i mean if you're not seeing it now you're probably not ever going to i think that goes it was definitely a shot no it's definitely a shot they took with it i was surprised I did like the the build up because I I did have one of those moments being so sucked in where uh, I was like oh they're too busy you know with their debauchery on Hutta and I was like when they said the twins and, and it's a, it's like you know as a fan you kind of put it all together in your head like okay Hutta I know Hutts okay who are the twins I'm sitting going wait who are the twins I don't think I've ever heard of anything of the twins and then when you actually see them I, it was a good reveal and yeah you know it was, didn't look the best but it also didn't look the worst. I, I thought it looked fine. Like I, I was like, I, I bought into it. Like I said, like that was my favorite sequence so far. Yeah. I, I had no problem with it. I like concern. This is a Robert Rodriguez production and he is known for like doing things with like a shoestring budget. I would imagine no way he would sit there do that. Cause that's, that's like not on brand for him, but I, th- I thought it was convincing. Like at no point, like why well, did I look at this and go like, Oh, I can see the seam showing. Like there, there was no part of that. Like I, I think the only part in this episode where the scene started the show was like the little like, like getting back to the plot of this episode, like the little train robot, and he's just like, like he looks like oh god, who's that character in the uh, oh god the Brian Cranston uh, Power Rangers movie who has like the dish head, like he has like the flat head. He looked just, like for some reason like it made me very reminiscent of that character. I know I'm making a very odd reference here i've actually seen this movie too but i i, I don't remember yes i've seen brian Cranston. i've seen his toy a lot at big lots over the years it's the same like one thing on the shelf for like five years straight um but i guess no that was really the only sequence was that little train robot guy that and then like he like jumps out the window and like scurries away as like an insect other than that like that was the only moment i thought looked a little like hokey well I, what, what one thing that i that uh as a as a clone wars uh, aficionado one thing i was i thought was a little jarring was like the pikes were like when you're especially during the train fight like i feel like they could have tried a little harder or just used a different species to make them look like straight up a bit less like dudes with helmets on because like they're they have a very 
non-human like body form like in the clone wars and like you get a it's you don't get a great the one in solo is like wearing a lot of stuff so you don't get a great look at it but they did just seem sort of like dudes with like rubber masks on like i love the faces were great at the end after they captured the train but uh like during the action scenes they really just seemed like regular guys which like they just look they they they're a, they they're like an atypical form in their previous incarnation so it was just a little weird seeing it like that you're right they did look almost like they were just like a long snake standing up almost like we well, didn't quite know what their body was but yeah they are they, but they look they looked pretty good and it, it took me a minute to be like oh they're pikes and, and they're talking about spice but that was that was kind of the one cheesy line uh from boba where you saw it coming where it was like they're like no no spice he's like oh What's that? You know, when they drop the uh, drop the little bucket of spice opens up. And I, I'm actually watching my family. I think my mother in law goes, oh, Dune. Like, I was like, yeah, it's a Dune reference. No, Star Wars. Well, I mean, it, I, I guess it sort of technically is a Dune reference, uh, but uh, it's I would appreciate that more if she was referencing it without having seen the recent film, because I'd be like. That, that that's like what a 70s person was supposed to reaction was supposed to be when they heard about spice and a new hope ah yes dune good <laughs> but, but but yeah no it was it, like you know it was cool the pikes the the alien faces on the pikes look good they're just like they just had a very like uh stuntman goonish form during the train battle and i didn't like how many of them were sort of herded up i was like i would just watch that i know more of these guys were killed than that during this fight <laughs> like it looks like there's 30 of them captured it i don't know it that seemed strange to me um those might have been the guys that got just beat up and lost their weapon and it just kind of rounded them all up yeah. and also did you notice that orange rodian got that orange ro the only rodian that exists on tattooing now since greedo died it was again in the in the casino i i caught him I did not notice that, but uh, I'm glad they're getting their mileage out of that one orange Rodian mask. <laughs> oh, that mask, that one orange Rodian mask is going to be in every episode. Yeah, um, but, you know, like uh, like I was saying before, first 10 minutes, crazy. Um, I don't believe the Huts would have just walked away like that, but I guess our, our what we're going to have the joy of experiencing is Black Cursed Santian having an awesome assassination attempt on Boba. And then I'm sure we're going to get more hilarious uh, dialogue scenes with the twins. So that excites me. I just hope that uh, the proportion of contemporary uh, story to flashback tips the other direction as we go along in this, because the stakes are just so much higher. And, you know, that's that's what sort of that's the only thing that's holding me back from love in this is that the first third of it is really life and death, like serious stuff going on, high stakes, important characters. And then we go into something where we sort of know how it ends up playing out for half an hour. And it's a little more predictable. So, I, you know, I just it's fine. I, I hope that we don't see every minute of these intervening five years with the Tuscans because that's going to use up a lot of screen real estate. We built a latrine one year, and we we're gonna very get deep into that. That was in that Tomorrow Morrison interview as well. Yep, they're gonna build uh, uh, well wells for water and all kinds of good stuff, and they're gonna really improve the quality of life on the Tuscan camp. I opened up a daycare for these little guys. Yep, he'll be teaching them to read and write next, and and they're gonna be like, "Wait, you can live without these masks on, just fine in the desert." What have we been been doing this whole time? <laughs> who thought he? Wait, who thought Zach? Did you think Boba was going to put a mask on with him? No, no. no. I, I just find it kind of fascinating that, like, again, this is Boba Fett. Always wore his armor. 
Um, again, we don't know the the like outside of the comics. Like, have they ever explained like when he decided to finally wear the Boba Fett, like, or I guess the Mandalorian armor between the events of the Clone Wars and like I guess the comics of the original trilogy? Have they ever explained like he ever had that moment where he decides to like put it on? Like, is it he just finally grew into it? I don't think so because when we last see him in Clone Wars episodes that were actually released, he had sort of a sort of kit bashed like podge podge armor and then there was that unfinished episode where he uh fought cowboy hat alien uh yes and he that guy alien cowboy hat yeah and he had the armor on in that episode so it would have been in between that time i don't know if unfinished clone wars episodes are canon or not but some of the stuff from them is finished or directly referenced in season seven so but so but yeah i don't think we've seen that because it would have been like in between clone wars episodes yeah, I guess again, I think it's weird that like this is this is a guy that like wore the exact same armor for how many years, and then like he makes such a big deal to uh, Dinjarin about it. Yet for how many years he kind of just I, I know they're gonna explain it, like they're gonna explain it some way. Um, but you you would just think that like this would be a little bit more of a priority for him. Oh yeah, I mean it's really funny. Like the reason there's a made-up Mandalorian religion of not removing your helmet is because in six and a half minutes of the original trilogy, Boba Fett never removes his helmet. Yet in this series, he he there's literally a shot in the second episode where he feels an, like it looks like he's annoyed by wearing it when he takes it off. He's like, oh, much better. I I hate having to wear a mask when I go to the mall, you know. So 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 so, so like it is funny though because like they made up a fake religion that's a plot device in the other show because you just never see him not wear his helmet in the original trilogy but then then again though you know his dad wasn't so strict about wearing the helmet either yeah he wore it in front of that whole arena full of bugs he took it off so did they ever explain how it like how the helmet got like uses like a suicide attack in the Clone Wars and like it somehow got reforged. Well, this is what I was what I was getting at where it doesn't re- like you're saying it connects more with prequel Boba. I'm not sure it does. Uh, Daniel Logan's probably his Twitter's probably on fire right now because we had a recycled s- still image of his face and a reflection in this episode. Yep. So he's pretty yep, which means he got which means they cut him a check. They had yep. to cut him a check. I did. I was I re when I rewatched the first episode, I was I was watching that scene very closely after we discussed it. I'm going, you're right. They kind of did make it to where you didn't really see him. But no, you straight up see Daniel Logan this episode. Yeah, yep. They must have just repurposed some footage somehow because it was a reflection. It would have been easier to do than a than a full on shot. This is an idea I had during that uh, sequence where we see him on Camino and he sees Slave One fly away. Um, are we going to get a moment in this where we see Tamori Morrison talk to like 12 year old daniel logan like cgi recreated like daniel logan are we gonna get like the idea of like him coming to terms with like his father's legacy and his role like in the galaxy now like are we gonna get get confusing though for the casual they're gonna be like wait boba (laughs) fett has a kid like (laughs) seriously i know i know that's why i'm hoping for it but zach i think you're i think you're absolutely right because Otherwise, no, no, no. We're gonna get a moment where he, where a bug jumps in his nose, and Tamora Morrison talks to Tamora Morrison, <laughs> where he gets this talk to. <laughs> That's some bad peyote, man. That's 
<laughs> I think they're going to lean a lot more heavily on de-aged Tamira Morrison than they are a recreated uh, child Daniel Logan. But I think you're like that mean guy who's eating his lunch in episode two. Yeah, because we already have a de-aged uh, uh, Tamira Morrison in Aquaman. So, they, you know, they got the files handy. They don't even need to re- recreate that. But uh, but but I think you're going to get that because otherwise that especially in the first episode, that shot of Camino is like so superfluous like like unless you unless you know the movie back and forth you have like you don't even see the slave one so far in the, in this show so like there's no like to the casual viewer that shot of camino is like the most abstract thing in this show because it's just, <laughs> it, that kid it goes from and well it's not you don't even see the kid in the first time it shows up it goes from that straight to him holding the helmet in the arena so it's like why is that shot of camino there it's you're it's because he, they're gonna do something weird where he, he's gonna have a exchange with his dad before his dad leaves to go do something oh or, or wait are we so like is there gonna be some like will this exchange take place on camino yes. or will it be like whoa, whoa, whoa hansik, hansik, hansik. let me say let me say the, the latter point Will it be Camino or will it be like in that little archway in the Geonosis arena? I think it's going to be Camino because otherwise we wouldn't be seeing Camino at all. Unless remember Camino is a thing now because of the bad batch. Like that's become a very big, like weird, like focal point for star Wars in like 2021. Right. But the only thing that the, but like Django and fat place there is, is 20 minutes of attack of the clones. Like it's had more screen time since then. I think it's lit. I'm going to throw it out there. I think it's literally going to be, uh, Django is going to be heading off to this to the slave one to to participate in some specific event of episode two uh, is because he leaves Daniel Logan at daycare during that time. And they're going to have a little exchange at the door right before Django leaves, because you see him in this one looking at the window as slave one takes off again. So I think they're going to they're going to have some conversation before before Django leaves. And it will be something that takes place in the early part of episode two, probably. I'm off to the moons of Bogdan to see a man named Tyrannus. He's going to say that. <laughs> he looks directly into the camera after he says it too. <laughs> Wink. Well, you know, the moons of Bogdan are already showed in the droids cartoon, and that's what they were referencing at the time. But uh, that would have taken place prior to this because he was already hired by Tyrannus. So it, maybe it's uh, maybe he's got to go to Coruscant to make an assassination attempt on a, on a certain senator or something. And, and maybe Daniel Logan thinks it's thinks it's ignorant that he's risking his life doing that when he already has a fat paycheck from the Caminoans. But dad said the send the hot chick. He's like, yeah, I am sending the hot chick, but she's sending a bug on inside of a robot. I've got it all worked out, son. Just don't worry. <laughs> Brilliant. But uh, yeah, you know, like I love I love the ayahuasca trip and all that and the, the whatever peyote and going on a vision quest. I love the red eyes in the tree. Is the tree real? I guess we see a little bit of shrubbery around Luke's house and A New Hope. So, like, there's, yeah, it might be a tree out there, one or two dead ones. That's like the world between worlds, though, man. That's, I think that's what that was. That was, that was definitely, he was, that, that's whatever the force is to the Tuscans, is whatever's in that little lizard that goes in your brain. Uh, there were some great lines. There were like, it's some good comedy in this when, when the thing jumps out of his nose and he said, I actually thought that was part of the dream. And they're like, no, nope, that's where it goes. Like that was that was a pretty that was pretty well delivered. I'll give it to Tamora. There was I mean the whole teaching them to ride speeders and that whole thing and jump from it. That was it, it was a lot of fun mixed in with all the weirdness in this. Yeah, well, it it was a 
good delivery because when he was delivering it, he couldn't see the lizard. And, you know, you, you're not going to not notice that something the size of a pencil is in your sinuses. So, <laughs> so that's the weird part for me. But, uh, but, but so like maybe they could have done a smaller, a smaller, uh, hitchhiker, but, uh, that's neither here nor there. It's really, uh, a, a earth lizard called an anole is what it looks exactly like, which are crawling all over the place in Florida, aren't they, Zach? I'm not sure if that's, that's, oh, they were, they were back in the day. I can't speak uh, nearly 20 years later, but yes, they were everywhere. Yeah. So, you know, it was, it was like the rat. It's a very earthly animal that doesn't cause you hallucinogenic, crazy experiences on earth. But, but, uh, tying it back to the theme parks though, because those lizards might be all over the park as far as we know. You're going to have people shoving up their nose. <laughs> yes, exactly. I Look, want get one, get Tuscan one. experience. Oh, who wants it? Oh, yeah, they have the lightsaber maker. They're going to have yeah. the gaffy stick maker where you got to catch a lizard first. They're going to catch a lizard and shove it up their nose or some other part of their body. Oh, my God. The Tuscan Just hope experience. it comes out the nose after. Yeah. If it comes out another part, they're going to be in trouble. They're going to go see a doctor. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Man. Well, I'm, I don't know. I don't know, Zach, any, anything uh, we're forgetting that you wanted to mention here. Like, I think like, I'm just excited to see Black Kersanjan take a shot at Boba Fett in a dark alley at night. And uh, can we call him Black Chekhov? Because he is like the Chekhov's Wookiee of this show where you're like, oh, he's like the little ninja in The Simpsons where you're like, come on, you know, he's going to do something cool. And he will. He looked so threatening. It's like, like a, I was... <laughs> he gave he gave. Gave Boba Fett the people's eyebrow, the Wookiee's eyebrow. Is it? I wonder if he's played by uh, Dwayne Johnson. That's Dwayne Johnson's first Star Wars role. He's, he's given the people's the Wookiee's eyebrow. Ugh. He's like, I'm gonna see you. Don't worry, I see you. Yeah, that's a great standoff, and that that that's the hook that I I was looking for too. Because yeah, you kind of forgot about all that once he went into the weird trip. Because yeah, it did did do almost what. Would you, would you say that the two thirds of it was just the the flashback to? Yeah, like uh, time wise, I think it is literally like the back half an hour is the flashback, something like that. It was a pretty long episode. I think it was like 50 minutes. Yeah, it was almost an hour. It's yeah. Great. Yeah, no, I uh, um, no, like I said, I really don't know how much more like to really focus on. Like, again, like we were saying a couple minutes ago the watching Boba Fett like mime riding a speeder watching the Tuscans kind of like uh like make make I don't want to say make fools of themselves but just watch them kind of like like the learning curve of like technology uh no that was like that was a lot of fun um it's also fascinating too that like god we're getting so much Tuscan Raiders considering that like oh god Chris you kept, you kept mentioning it last week the idea that we didn't get to see the uh the, the specific tribe of women and children of Tuscan Raiders and the fact that like in Star, it's weird how like even in Star Wars like terminology they are referred to as sand people, which I would imagine is one of those things. Like I'm surprised like Lucasfilm hasn't tried to like oh god in the Disney Plus edits like yeah there's a glitch in the file when uh when they say those words like the audio just dipped out we can't explain it there's an edit to the to the master uh, print of it. The um, indigenous Tatooinas are easily startled, but they'll be back. <laughs> You know, I, they are going to have to shift that at some point, but they haven't. I don't know why. That's the thing. I, it's interesting that they keep giving the Tuscans so much uh, attention, like considering there, there is like that's like a weird form of like, inviting uh, controversy, which is pretty easy to do nowadays. I don't I don't think they look at it that way. I think ever, especially ever since they brought in the sign language thing. People are eating it up like they got so so much kudos for the sign language thing that I think we're going to we're going to they're going to pepper these flashbacks through the hole. Oh, sure. 
No, I, no, like I said, I, I have nothing against it. It's just one of those things where, like, it's weird how, like, occasionally Star Wars will decide to, like, start to walk on eggshells and nothing happens. To this day, I still find it fascinating that, like, oh, God, John Boyega as Finn is a janitor. Like, and they never received any backlash from that. Like, we are six years removed from The Force Awakens, still not a, like, iota of backlash. And I'm just like, okay, like, clearly they, they – the fandom decides to be quiet about, and the media decides to be quiet about certain things. Well, I mean, you can't really try and like that whole movie is just full of absurdities. Like, oh, is, he, is he a janitor? Because uh, I believe he's deployed as a soldier in the very beginning of the movie. So, like, why are you even telling me he's he a janitor? Tell, that's what, but he's the one who admits it, though. That's the weird thing where it's like he's just like because uh, like what Hansel asking him, like, what, what was your responsibility here? Because that would be a funny answer, but they forgot that they showed him deployed as a soldier. He just said radar <laughs> technician, and it would have been funny. Oh, no, that's Kylo Ren's position. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know, but you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know. I don't think they're walking on eggshells with the... I, I, I Like, I, I, you did... Like Chris, you said, a Star Wars video game had a trailer, and like 36 minutes later, it was canceled by like everybody. There's been it, no announcement on that yet, but... Uh, officially. Yeah. I, I don't know. I think that's I think if if they were going to capitulate immediately, we might have heard something. I don't I don't think there's not even a it's going to be it's going to be like everything else. It's just going to dissolve over time. They're, they don't have to cancel. It's going to fall apart on its own. Do you think they would have at least made like a like a text post on Star Wars dot com being like we hear this preposterous Internet riot without using that word? They're going to we're going to look into it. <laughs> internet riot. We're going to look into it and just they could have just left it at that. But they haven't said anything because I think they've spent too much. I don't, I think. Well, yeah, I think the issue is that, like, think about that. Like, oh, oh, oh God, basically license, licensing out Star Wars for a video game. That's a big, big old check they get for having to do practically nothing. And so if they were to sit there, pull the license, they have to return that money. Um, and, and there, and like I said, I, who knows, there might be some like level of, uh, it, it's just like, I would imagine Lucasfilm is not keen to, to do that. So I imagine they're hoping it blows over. Um, but like we, we kind of talked about it a little bit last night. It was that notion of it's weird when like, oh God, Lucasfilm employees are throwing, uh, cousins of the department, like, oh, like under the bus. I was feeling very annoyed that day when, uh, I really, her name keeps escaping me, but she's one of the, she's written probably five canon novels. What that just got released yesterday for those of you who uh, can figure it, put the pieces together. But you know, I, I like, I got in on the, the reply threads on that. And I'm like, like, since when do you guys hold Disney to this level, this standard, right? Like you're talking about a company that, that literally made Finn smaller on the Chinese poster for the force awakens. You're like, there is no, the standard that you're trying to hold them to has never been held by them. I don't think it's a standard thing. I think it's, it's like what happened back in the day. Um, in, in the, again, it, it comes back to the question that like, Oh God, Russ remembers when I used to ask this, like, I'm like, Oh, like, Oh God, a quarterly basis. I'm like, now that Jason Ward is gone, like who's in charge of the professional fandom? I'm like, who's making those decisions? Who's like, launching the campaigns to torpedo things or people and clearly somebody's doing that they're just they, they learn the lessons that that he didn't of hide be be the uh the puppet master because clearly someone wants this to die so because you wouldn't get this level of organized reaction i think it's a psychological compulsion but i don't know if it's that organized 
I think it is. Like, okay, if it weren't for the fact that like five years ago it was extremely organized um, and that power structure collapsed, as we've learned from the book of Boba Fett, that uh, the vacuum is pretty uh, filled immediately. I, like I said, you don't have, like I said, it was weird. Like that trailer gets released and like six days later, every every person in the professional fandom in the span of like an hour and a half had a tweet ready and like about it. It was like, it was so weird. Like, and there was no art like outside of one article. There was really nothing explaining what, like what was going on. And that article came like hours after like this weird campaign, like, like began and like i said all these tweets denouncing it from the professional fandom and these like quasi lucasfilm employees yet like fan affiliates all like happened at once and that that doesn't happen organically like like not everybody has their tweet waiting in the span of like 30 like 30 minutes like there's usually a snowball effect and there wasn't and that and that used to happen a lot in the jason ward days where like Mm -hmm. everybody had their thing like Oh God, like his podcast, like his wife had a podcast and they, and they all would just wait and they all hit like the publish button at the exact same time. Cause they wanted to get like that, like SEO traction, SMO, like, like, Oh God. Um, the algorithm would sit there, like, like pick it up. Well, I love a good conspiracy though, but is this someone, <laughs> is this a, is this a Disney competitor that has, uh, you know, aligned all these forces to do this or a, a video game competitor, or is this something internal where they, they got to find a way to get out of something they know they're going to regret or something. It's it's interesting to look at it like that. I think, I think that, of, enough attention to it like that. It's good. Well, like I said, it's funny. Like I remember this was what, two plus years ago when like Zenger, Rob and I were talking about this and we were in Zenger's like, I know Zach's convinced there's like an anti-Star Wars cabal. And, but there is like, you still have the fandom menace people that like, I'm not kidding you are mad because there's no reek in the flashback sequence in episode one. Um, they're, they're mad, for some reason they are legitimately mad that there's not like a space dinosaur, like in the arena. Um, like, and then you also have like, everybody has to realize too, that like, as much as like, oh god the cultural zeitgeist has ignored the high republic like in these very okay let me use the correct terminology here the progressive wing of the fandom that more or less has not want to say faded out but like they're still there but like after the last like after they kind of like don't have the fandom menace to fight anymore over like the sequel trilogy in the last jedi they very much gravitate toward the high republic and I think that clearly the people, again, that very specific segment or sect of the fandom didn't like that this studio was working on a High Republic game because they see the, the High Republic as their Star their Wars. Their Star Wars. Oh, this is very and, interesting. Uh, you kind of wonder, like, I, I'll i be honest, a lot of High Republic stuff has come out. And, you know, just personally, I, it's like I don't feel like it's for me yet. Like, I don't really... Nothing has engaged me enough to want to get into it. But of course, I'm still very into Star Wars. It's very much a lot of Star Wars for me. We're sitting here talking about a lot of it tonight. But I understand now... <clears throat> Now you're putting the High Republic in a in a perspective that makes sense of why it was created and why it continues. Thank you. And well, and that goes back. Well, you're welcome, Russ. But that goes back to even the thing that happened like almost two years ago, where they had like all those behind the scenes videos. Where they had like the was like a dry erase board and had all these like buzzwords on it, and it's like Star Wars without the wars, and it's like all the stuff that like, and it's like oh, like they're they're trying to make Star Wars into Star Trek. 
let's remember there was dinosaurs and dragons on that board so you know they didn't yes. consciously leave the recap of that flashback it was either a, oh it was either a basic oversight or a cost saving measure it's not a conspiracy they're not cutting a check to daniel logan and reek get over it only <laughs> one's getting it the reeks people are very tough negotiators um but yeah like no i think what it comes down to is that that very very vocal minority in the fandom is like again they've lashed onto the high republic and clearly a lot of the names i had not seen like since like pre-rise of skywalker showed up when like oh god what was it like blackout eclipse was trending like how many weeks ago it was because like those people were kind of just like lying in wait they were waiting for something to uh, rally to rally around and like again those people like from back in the day again these the, i haven't used this term in a while but the star wars podcasting cartel um they're still around like like there was too much money to be made off this and for the same reason why that like like oh god there wasn't a lot of knights of vader content in 2020 and 2021 because there wasn't a lot of star wars just stuff happening think about it. like there were people during the sequel trilogy era, era that were making a living off publishing numerous articles a day and then like once that dries up there there's nothing so like there is a financial benefit to like causing a a is chris coined an internet riot yeah i gotta say and um it, it affected it, my wife recently came up to me she goes i just saw an article popped up on google it says the fans all hate the boba fett show she's like i don't understand we just want is that really true she asked me she's like is it true does everyone hate the boba fett show i was like no, it's just a clickbait art. It's just a no, not at all. Like these are the things that are going to make it to the top because these are things people will click because you'll go, oh, no, really? But no. And yes, that 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 hate train is always going to be there. And we've all we've tried to rail against it on this before. I don't think there is a is a way to do that. You know, it, it is too big. There's too much money to be made off of. Um, but I think doing but that. I think the difference there is that there's a like, clickbait is clickbait. I get that. Like any that that's social media optimization search engine optimization like it, it's it's there um like you said russ it's not going away i think there's a difference between like a headline like you said with your wife about like oh like everybody 10 reasons why the book that book of boba fett's the worst thing that happened to star wars versus we're gonna try to get this video game canceled there's one thing trying there's one thing of fanning the flames there's one thing trying to take like literally try to take something out there's a difference like it, it, it's it, there's like a level of malevolence that is very off-putting and and i think that's the problem and again and it's been there for years now that's why uh like god is, is is russ doesn't know but chris does like why the podcast is no longer the star wars junk podcast um they, they, there are players out there that very much want star wars realized in their image and weirdly enough, it's not the people that were trying to uh, burn Ryan Johnson at stake. Well, the other thing you have to also think about, too, is you have a lot of people that are invested in that Knights of the Old Republic game. And if EA loses its license, guess what? That gets pulled. Same thing that Sony got its license pulled when Star Wars Galaxy went under. A lot of people got a lot of money invested in that and a lot of time. And they got their characters the way that they want it. So if that gets pulled and that gets retired, then guess what? You got a lot of upset people. So I think it's more of a fans rallying around trying to cancel something new so they could keep what they have instead of going and spending more money on another game that they're going to have to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on in order to get their gear 
and everything like that because it's going to be obsolete. And then the people that were playing it with them aren't playing it now because they got the new Star Wars game. Now, if they could somehow join forces with the Muppet people from Muppet Vision who want that to stay, <laughs> uh, that that could really be a force to be reckoned with at Disney. Yeah, so if we get the three families, the five families somehow, you got the first two ready. He's got to get Frank Oz. He's the key. He's the uh, Luke Skywalker at the end of that, The Force Awakens. He is the rallying cry. He is the emperor. He is Palpatine, Frank Oz. Frank Oz, star of the Salvi's Workshop experience. <laughs> but you sit there and you look at it and it's going to be, it's it's like, a, what is it? The uh, It could be the, the house of unfeasible Disney intellectual property. You know, they could sit there and have the Muppets and, and any of the defunct Star Wars games and everything like that. I've got a level 95 Fozzie Black yeah. Chekhov's Jedi Wookiee. I'm not messing this up, man. Exactly. I've been playing this game for 10 plus years. You're going to take it away from me. All right. Anything else, you two? Joe, do you have any uh, specific insights on this episode? Well, I think it's it's going to be good, but the one thing that that's leading me into like nausea is hopefully that this Tuscan Raider piece of the book of Boba Fett actually realizes to something towards the end. Cause if it doesn't, then why show it? You know, you're invested more than half the screen time so far in the first two episodes, the Tuscan Raiders, if they don't show up at the end to do something, or if there isn't any greater purpose of him becoming the overlord of Moss Espa, then what was the purpose of showing those flashbacks? So I'm kind of thinking that they're going to be doing something towards the end where he's going to have them be his enforcers or something like that. Um, another great point that everyone was mentioning in the podcast so far is everything is very, very, very um, heavy on, on the unused. Um, oh, what was it? The, the unused, uh, Macquarie. Macquarie art. Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking that you're going to see a lot more of it. And I think that you're actually going to see the female Gamorrean guard in the book of Boba Fett. I'm, I, I'm, you know, timestamp. Yeah. I'll post that on our Instagram uh, this week because I meant to do it last week. That's, because it was, a, a, she was in a yellow dress, right? It's a fine image. Yeah. Yes. And she so has a very subtle tattoo of Macquarie above her left bosom. Exactly. You're going to see it. It's going to be it's going to be the black pumpkin. It's going to be on her bosom right there. Right when she's getting. Uh, oh, uh, oh, getting some some frogs. Yeah. And I'm so annoyed by these real like the black pumpkins really growing underground. Like there's no vine connecting them. How do the seeds sort of get all spread? It was like, moisture farming. Yeah. This what those machines pulled up black pumpkins. That's how they got the water. Yeah. But where they keep the husks of the black pumpkins. That's what I want to know. Do they put them back in the ground and do they get more water. It's. That's the science that they need to do. I think there's going to be a blue milk out of them. They had a great opportunity to capitalize on more. It's like the sign language thing. They could reference some specific uh, historical culture that buried their water out in the desert. And they could have got brownie points for referencing that. But no, instead, it's just some weird thing that grows underground. All right. It's space fruit. Never mind. Never mind this. The superior theory I put forward. Yeah, you get to dig for him at, at Disney World in a couple of years. Yes. Here you go. You want a water? Five dollars. No, go find it. Go, 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 dig dig. it. <laughs> go dig. If you find more than one share. Yeah. Whoa, whoa, whoa. No sharing. You get one. That's it. You can't take it's, two. I think it's going to be one of the big things that you're going to see this summer is you're going to see a bunch of people digging sand on the beach trying to look for the black pumpkin. <laughs> that's that's going to be awesome. And they should we should uh 
we should start the hashtag of it now. Find your black pumpkin. Yeah, we'll, it'll be like geolocating or geocaching, yeah. geopumpkining, we'll call it. Instead of crypto coins, you can have uh, black melons. <laughs> Fantastic. You can monetize it. Our, 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 <laughs> like I, I, I will, I will instantly die and begin rolling over. Um, uh, if that happens. Um, but, you know, my, my, real quick, my final take on this episode, uh, Black Kersantin, good. The <laughs> twins, good. Uh, Madame Garza and Sanctuary, her establishment, good. Uh, Tuscan Raiders getting a little bit boring, dare I say it. Uh, and then and then then just because uh, Z- just because I got Zach here, I'm going to inject my my most recent uh star wars collectible pickup real quick <gasps> so i recently just got this canadian micro collection 1982 imperial tie fighter with its original canadian box with some french writing on there very cool and it has a button where you break it and it smashes up just like moff gideon's uh tie fighter. i i own that not in the box but i have a loose one and they're very cool and fun to play with i have the x-wing too there it is yes it's very cool and it's got a nice little die-cast TIE fighter pilot inside that can die and crash. And t- Okay, I'm going to need that one. I don't have to die. <laughs> yeah. So that's awesome. Uh, you know, if you if uh, collecting vintage Star Wars is cool, don't let anyone tell you otherwise. It's it's definitely the best stuff. It's slightly cooler than collecting modern. Chris, did you pre-order any of those uh, new vintage collection Boba Fett stuff like in the cardboard box? Uh, the droid stuff, or what are you talking about? No, the new book of like Boba Fett. Like, or, it's not just book of Boba Fett. Like, there's some Mandalorian ones in there. Like, it's like Hasbro's new like plasticless packaging, where like it's like a oh, little cardboard yeah. thing. It's like the old like Walmart's. I think it was what Walmart used to do that. I'm not crazy about that. They're probably gonna go to that um design. I think you're still gonna see the regular carded vintage collection figures for a while. I don't think that's meant to replace it because they have a, some added accessories. They they gave you about three microns more plastic in there to charge you ten dollars more so it's not quite a regular figure but um i just i think the weird the thing that might sort of backfire with them with those is that a lot of vintage collection collectors buy one to open and one to keep carded and there's just i see very little interest in keeping something like that sealed because you're effectually looking at a picture of the thing that you bought for the whole time that you own it and I want to say, uh, you, Chris, suggested how great that Lando was for Christmas this year. I got the vintage collection Lando and Emperor, the smiling Emperor, both given to me. And I plan on opening both of them. They'll both hang out in my cantina, my Jabba cantina. Excellent. And uh, yeah, also, um, uh, if you don't already follow the Knights of Vader Instagram, check out KOV Podcast on Instagram, where you can see me messing around with other uh outrageous modern figures like the new death star droid from the vintage collection which looked great that was a great that was a great image you took of that new death star droid and uh yeah i, I like this episode of boba i'm excited i th- i do think that th- i my big question is first i was like why is boba strutting around as if he has some kind of enforcers when he's got fennec shan and a couple of pig guards but he 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 might have more behind him than we think and uh yeah i could see this he could have a tribe of enforcers and uh that this could be some kind of weird war he gets in with the sub zero ninjas and the twins are they gonna go to space at any point i thought this was star wars i know i'm saying it again but it's gonna be a re- reimagining of the final uh and or battle but instead of ewoks it's gonna be tuscan raiders and instead of the sold, empire it's, sold, it's gonna be sold. the twins army versus the tuscan raiders who just pop out of the sand out of nowhere it's gonna be it's gonna be a wild time sold i love it
I'll take that. And I, I want I want a toy so badly of our new favorite Star Wars character where I'm taking a very long time to do it so I can look up his name. Black Karasand. I want him. Karasand. I want him. I want him as a toy now. Well, in the meantime, you should get a 1996 <laughs> Shadows, and a of Chewbacca. The, Shadows of the Empire uh, Chewbacca in disguise as Snuva because that looks pretty close. Eh, I know that figure. Eh. He's got a different bandolier. We need the new guy. We need Dark, uh, exactly. dark Chekhov's Wookiee. Yes. It's like, Mom, can we have this figure? It's like, we have this one at home. No, it's not the same. It's not the same, Mom. I can't believe I was that close to a ride. Have you ever seen a Chewbacca? <laughs> All righty, folks. Uh, Russ, when you're not on this podcast, what are you up to? Uh, you can catch me on the Unbelievers podcast. Uh, we've got a bunch of episodes you can listen to. We're on a little break for the holidays still. And I clipped something we didn't bring up. And I know it's the end, but we're not. But I just have to play it. Uh, I'm going to be very rude as I leave and just say. How rude. Oh boy, Joe, anything uh, to share with us before we end this episode? No, can't wait to see the see how the third episode shakes out. Um, looking forward to it. It's it's a pretty decent show so far, but just hopefully, hopefully it, it pans out in the end. All right, so just slightly better than the Bad Batch, in your <clears> opinion. Actually, it's it's I would say I would I actually get up wanting to watch the book of Boba Fett. Instead of, oh, I think we're going to be talking about it this week. Oh, wait, we're not. Then why did I watch that? Fair enough. <laughs> All righty. And when I am not on this podcast, you can find me occasionally on Cinemodies, where this month we're kind of playing cleanup from the last couple series. Uh, we're, we're doing Spider-Man No Way Home, Matrix Resurrections, and there's some other stuff sprinkled in there. Monday, we had our Wild Wild West episode come out, Wicked Wicked Wild. And we'll be there's some other episodes too that will be things that we've taught we've mentioned a lot but never specifically covered, including a Jordan Peele Twilight Zone episode that Chris was a part of. Three hours of his life that he will never get back as he profusely nods into the camera. <laughs> Chris does not disagree. Um, alrighty, folks. Good night, but not goodbye. And as always, may the force be with you. Yeah.